Do you know that one of the things that we really take for granted and don't put a lot of energy into it and only really wonder what happened when it is taken away from us, it's not just our health. It's actually our relationship with our beloved. Welcome to Get Real with me, Dr. Friedman. If you want to live with greater purpose, authenticity, and empowerment, this is your time to upgrade your belief systems, unlock your true potential, and discover the endless possibilities of you becoming the creator of your life. Would you agree that there are certain things we just take for granted, like the refrigerator, the electricity, and we have a roof over our heads, our health even, only when those things are taken away from us or don't work anymore, then we seem to realize what they actually meant to us. Now, one of the things that I find we usually take for granted, but we really shouldn't, is our primary relationship. The person you're with, the person who loves you, endures you, accepts you, and has gone with you through thick and thin. Maybe it's a relationship that's fairly new, but you're already feeling so comfortable with that person that you kind of lose sight on what would make this relationship be even better. Or you are since 10 plus years together and you just feel that everything is so smooth sailing on autopilot that you can focus on other things and you don't really have to put any energy or thought into that relationship. Then comes Valentine's Day and all of a sudden you scramble to find the restaurant with overpriced menus or the flowers and chocolate to celebrate that person that you really deeply love but often ignore. My mom hated Mother's Day because she always said, well, we should celebrate mothers all year long. And I think Valentine's Day is similar. It's a nice gesture, but we really should celebrate our loved ones all year long and not just on the 14th of February. Today, I want to talk about some of those things that you can do and you may actually not do that can improve your relationship dramatically. Things that I found with my own relationship with Danielle who now we are together since uh, 23 years, uh, but also with uh, couples clients that uh, I work with uh, that really make a big impact and they are not very difficult to implement. One of those things that we're going to start with is removing the invisible boundaries that most of us have. You know how that is when you are, let's say, on a nice date. You have nice, deep conversations. You look into your, each other's eyes, but all of a sudden you have that urge to check your phone, pick it up, look at social media, maybe check out an email, see what the weather going to be like. It's like you have to remove yourself because you feel there is something that feels too intimate, too close, too vulnerable. Someone told me that whenever they uh, eat together and uh, he's cooking, his partner all of a sudden gets up in the middle of a conversation 
and cleans the dishes and uh, makes sure that uh, the kitchen is all tidy up. But it's not really that it's necessary to do this right away. It's more this feeling of, I need to remove myself. I need to reestablish my boundaries. That really makes us do those things. And what's important about this is that it always creates a certain distance. It creates a certain avoidance and a disconnect between you and the person you're with. And you will never let that person get as deeply into your heart as it's possible. So my suggestion is to just be aware of those knee-jerk reflexes you have, where the phone, the kitchen, or maybe, you know, going and having to walk the dogs urgently becomes more important than savoring that quality time, that intimate moment, that, that connection that you can have. And instead of going with this usual your habit, just sit a little bit longer, stay a little bit longer and, and notice that this discomfort of connection, of intimacy is dissipating and that you actually feel that there is something of a, of a depth that you're reaching with your partner that before wasn't really possible. So that's number one, invisible boundaries. Just check for them because maybe you feel, oh, I don't really have them, but then you realize I do. I maybe do it in different ways. Maybe I end conversations on the phone too quickly, or maybe I'm not really uh, openly sharing how I'm feeling because that's my boundary that I don't want to expose myself too much. Whatever it is, try to see that those boundaries are not necessary because one thing I often tell my couples is you're not enemies. You're supposed to be friends. You're supposed to really go through life together as a team and not as either competitors or uh, being in a hostile uh, relationship. Another blind spot that often happens in relationships, especially when we are on cruise control, is that we are ignoring the other person's presence. I hear this often in the sessions where one uh, partner says, you know, I come home and uh, I don't even get a smile. I don't even have uh, my partner look up from the laptop or iPad. It seems like I'm invisible. And when I leave, I don't get a goodbye, a kiss, a hug. All of those things just have completely disappeared. And and even though we can accept that, we can feel like, well, you know, too busy, too distracted, too whatever, there is a certain kind of pain that happens inside of us when we get ignored, when we get uh, seen as, well, you're not really important enough for me to stop doing what I'm doing. And on the flip side, it makes a huge difference. I had couples that just by doing those little steps of acknowledgement, you know, standing up when uh, the person came home, giving a hug, how are you doing? Can I take your coat? Let me make you a cup of tea. These moments were so rewarding because it felt like that the priorities were straight again, that the love and the relationship was more important than anything else. And it was clear that you're willing to let go 
of whatever business you had to connect with the person that uh, came home or that is leaving. And those things I find are simple but often overlooked. In a similar vein, uh, Gottman's, the, the famous uh, therapist couple from uh, Seattle, uh, they have done studies on the so-called bid. And the bid basically means that you are trying to get a connection with your partner, with your spouse, and uh, your spouse, you know, can either ignore it or can take the bit and say, yes, I'm interested. For example, you know, you're looking out of the window and you say, wow, this is an interesting bird. Now, if, you're, if your uh, partner doesn't really say anything or says only like, I don't like birds or I hope the cat's gonna catch the bird or whatever, that's a refusal of taking the bit. That's basically creating again this barrier. Or when you're making a suggestion, hey, I wanna go for a walk, do you wanna join me? And again, I'm too busy, I don't have time. That refusal of making that connection eventually is undermining the foundation of a relationship. And in their studies, they found if couples were taking seven out of 10 bits, meaning like a, a partner wants to connect and seven out of 10 times the other partner says, yes, these are solid, healthy relationships that are long lasting. If it's less than four bits out of 10, usually the relationships are falling apart. Now, how often does your partner try to connect or how often do you try to connect with simple things you know you're reading something and want to strike up a conversation about that you make a suggestion like hey let's go and have chinese food and you feel every time either you're talking to a wall or there is a pushback or another idea and you never feel that what you have to offer matters and that is really, really important that even though it may not be your preference, just saying yes to what your, your partner suggested, yes to that um, attempt to connect and somehow do something together or share a moment together, that really is such an important little thing you can change in making your relationship really the primary focus again, because in the end, it's like the little details that make a relationship important and valuable. It's not the big things that you argue about. You know, we often think, well, it's money or it's maybe the kids or some big projects. Yes, they can be points of contention and they can certainly challenge a relationship. But what makes and breaks a relationship are the daily interactions, the way we are with each other and how we communicate, how we acknowledge, and ultimately how we connect to each other. That is really what's so important. And along the same lines, it's the respecting of each other's vulnerabilities. See, I had uh, a session the other day with a couple, and it's so interesting, you know, that one person has more an attachment style of avoidance meaning like whenever there is a conflict or whenever there is a disagreement, 
that person just leaves more of the room and the relationship. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to talk about it. It's too much. And the other person had an anxious attachment style. That means like, wow, I'm really afraid of losing you. We need to resolve this. We need to talk about it. And so they triggered each other. You know, one removes itself and, you know, felt like safer being alone. <clears throat> and the other felt scared being alone because the core issue is the fear of abandonment. So now you have two very different vulnerabilities and that created so many conflicts because both felt hurt. One felt smothered and pushed, the other felt abandoned and rejected. So when you are understanding though the core vulnerabilities of your partner, when you understand, well, my partner just leads a little time and then they come back and we can talk about this. Or my partner needs just a little reassurance. Hey, I'm not leaving you. I just need a moment to breathe, a moment to reset, to ponder. Let me come back. You know, when you see that what your partner needs is not wrong, it may be just different, but it's a core wound that you don't have to tap into or trigger. You actually see that even though you can acknowledge and respect your own needs, you can still also take care and uh, and support your partner's needs so that you're not going into these endless cycles of fighting about something that ultimately only comes from pain inside of you. And that is a really important thing, understanding those core vulnerabilities. Another core vulnerability can be that your partner has certain, uh, you know, aspects that they are ashamed of. You know, maybe it's about uh, always being late or it's about, you know, their body. Rather than teasing your partner and making fun of and, oh, I guess, you know, we're going to again have a 30 minute delay or, you know, something about their weight that may be, you know, funny, but in the end hurtful. That is also something that you just want to be aware of. I don't want to hurt my partner. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or ashamed, even if it may be lighthearted. But in the end, it can only backfire. Rather than saying, for example, with a late issue, uh, something like a snarky remark, just ask, hey, is there anything that I can do for you to facilitate the process? Rather than commenting on the body, just show that you love, accept and adore your partner just the way they are without having to tease or poke uh, and this way create more that sense of I'm not really safe around you. I need to hide from you. Because one of the things that I find is maybe even more important than the foundation of love is the foundation of trust. Trusting each other, trusting that your partner has your back, trusting that you can be safe with your partner, trusting that you can be yourself and that you don't have to somehow put up a show or cover things up or feel like that you're only conditionally acceptable. So many people that are in relationships have, in especially their early years, experienced conditional acceptance. Only when you do this, only when you perform, only when you look at a certain way. 
So being in a relationship where you finally can just feel at home, a home that is different than where you grew up in, a home that really embraces you for all your aspects. I mean, that is heaven on earth if you can really make that happen. And I think if you see your partner as your priority and you understand what your partner needs, even though it may not be your own needs, that is something that creates that sense, that container of safety and love. Let's talk about physical intimacy. It's a big topic, and it's a topic that often also, again, gets pushed aside where you feel like, well, yes, that's normal. We are not in the honeymoon phase anymore. And so let's just, uh, you know, go with it. If we are once or twice a year in the bedroom together, all is fine. Well, that is a problem, not because of the frequency alone, because we all know that physical intimacy is really important for a relationship, especially, you know, keeping the relationship interesting and alive and vibrant. What's also important is that it's not just limited to the bedroom. There may be a problem that, you know, one of you has with having sex, just feels not, you know, just quite ready, or maybe their libido is down and just doesn't feel like that you want to engage in it. It can be hormonal, it can be age, it can be maybe some kind of a self-consciousness around the body, whatever it is. The problem is that that is sometimes the only way couples seem to create intimacy. And that is creating then this more roommate feeling of, well, we are really good together, we can, you know, nicely... Uh, take care of uh, the house and the kids, but we don't really have this connection of what lovers should have. Now, my suggestion is always to make intimacy a daily habit. And what that means is to make sure that you find moments of intimacy that are not necessarily leading to intercourse, but really just having intimacy as something where you connect with your bodies, with your senses, simply because you want to be close, simply you want to enjoy each other's presence. And there is no agenda, there is no pressure, there is no like it needs to lead something. And this way, just being connected with each other becomes a habit. And then it can also uh, reignite the fire that goes then also into a more deeper or more physical a regular intimacy in the bedroom. For example, holding hands. It's a very simple thing, but often we don't do it, even though it feels really good. Hugs, of course, maybe a little foot massage or head massage, combing hair, or letting yourself just be sponged up in the bath. These are simple things that just celebrate each other's connection on a physical level, it uh, creates a bond with the body, which, again, is such an important part of sharing love and is often overlooked. I find the senses, you know, smell, taste, touch, how things sound and look, I mean, these are what ultimately make the experience full. 
So if we only love in our heads, oh, I love this person, I know a person so well, she or he has done so much for me. Well, that's not enough. So you need to really find ways to express and to receive love also with your senses. And this is where the physical intimacy can have a much bigger space in your life than you may have given it in the past. Now, many of you have probably heard or read about love languages, and there have been whole, you know, series of podcasts done about this. So I don't want to bore you about this, but it's a it's a really interesting topic to look into. Love languages is basically how we share and how we feel love from with or from uh, the person we are with. So these are words of affirmations, these are gifts, these are quality time, these are doing something, acts of service, and uh, physical touch. <laughs> so what I find so interesting about love languages is that they sometimes create more of a disconnect than a connection. And I am the perfect example for this. Uh, when Danielle and I got together, she moved all the way from Tennessee to Seattle and uh, we shared a small one bedroom apartment. Now, I had as my love language acts of service drilled into me because that was where my family agreed on. Well, as long as we do something for each other, we know that we love each other. So when I, at seven o'clock in the morning, cleaned the house, vacuumed the floor, she almost freaked out because she thought she lives with a maniac who is just, you know, running around and trying to tidy everything up because acts of service was not how she grew up in regards to her love language. Her love language was much more about words of uh, affirmation, and spending quality time together. And that was not quality time having to lift up her feet while I was going with my vacuum like a maniac through the living room. So we had to talk about her love language, her hopes and expectations, and I had to adjust to that and vice versa. So now it's clear for her that there are certain things she can do for me that makes me loved and certain things I can say or plan in regards to quality time or physical touch that will make her loved. And so rather than feeling like, well, I'm not getting really the love I need, just also understand you have to learn the language of the other person in order to really match. And you don't have to necessarily, you know, agree on what your preferred love language is. What I find interesting about love language is that you know, their pre these preferences can change. I feel like over the years, acts of services is not so important to me anymore as quality time. Maybe because I feel, you know, time is running out and we have to really savor as much as we can. So be also willing to be flexible and not just, you know, stuck in your ideas of this is what I need and uh, this is the love language I speak. Ultimately, we can learn multiple languages. And in the ideal scenario, wouldn't it be great if all of those ways of showing and receiving love would work for you? Now, another, you know, little thing you can do better, I'm sure, 
which a lot of people struggle with, is communication. And that is just something where some people don't really know what it means to communicate. They don't want to talk about problems. They don't want to share their stressors. They don't want to burden their partner. So it's better just to not say anything or stay on the surface or talk about the dogs and the kids and the weather and the politics rather than talking about yourself. And again, you can this way create almost an atmosphere of living with a stranger, very pleasant person, but not really someone that you deeply know. And that is where many of the couples I worked with come to me with that complete lack of communication. And in order to get the communication going, there is a simple exercise. It's called stress relieving uh, conversations, which basically just means that you have two rules. Each of you talks for about, let's say, five minutes about things that stress you, things that you have been feeling, things that maybe have been, you know, not that great, either in your life or in the relationship or whatever. You just share a little bit, you open up. And as a listener, you say, wow, that must be hard. Or is there anything that you feel you're concerned about could happen or tell me more about this and what does that make you feel and you simply empathize and ask some clarifying questions you don't try to fix it you don't try to take the conversation to you and try to relate by telling a story about yourself nothing of that you are simply the big ear to listen and maybe the shoulder to cry on but you're not showing anything of, okay, let me just now uh, take the baton and talk about my problems because your turn will come. So after five minutes, you thank your partner for sharing and you thank for that openness that just occurred and then you share similarly. And if you have to say something about your partner, don't do it in an accusatory tone. You drive me nuts and you did this and I think you, no. It's more about, I felt that this happened. I felt when you were not looking up when I came home that you don't care. I felt ignored and it made me, reminded me of my dad who pretty much was never at home and whatever those things are. Just share more from owning your experiencing than blaming your partner. And again, your partner's job is just to listen, to empathize, to try to not take anything personally or go into defense mode because the goal is just to know that you're safe, that you have each other's back, that you're not going into attack mode or conflict, but that you want to work on creating an energy and an atmosphere where you can be open and vulnerable and truthful and the other person just holds that space without having to react to whatever has been talked about. And just do this for a few days or maybe a few weeks to have again that foundation of trust stronger. And then you can start saying, okay, now this topic has been coming up over and over. Shall we talk about solutions or shall we maybe reach out to someone to help us with that? But the first thing is just to get the communication flow going without the need to have to be right or set the story straight and without the need to attack and judge. 
And the last thing I want to talk about, I know I share a lot of different tools with you, but that's what I love to do, is one thing that I find is so interesting because it's so refreshing and, uh, and also in many ways uh, relieving. That is the saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm sorry that was not my best moment. I'm sorry I didn't take the bit. I'm sorry I was just ignorant and didn't look up. I'm sorry that I took you for granted. I'm sorry that I just projected all my frustration onto you. I'm sorry that I didn't listen. Just being willing to own that whatever you did wasn't really your best effort and that you're sorry and you want to do better. And the sorry, of course, has to be sincere. But you know how when you are about to get into a conflict, you're about to do something that you feel like you are, you know, let's say you have been planning a vacation and then your partner says, well, I don't think that this is really a great place to go. And you have been spending hours on doing that. Well, if you are telling your partner, you know, I'm really frustrated because I spent all the hours on my own. I made all these plans and all you do is just coming along and telling me it's wrong. If you as the partner then sees, wow, I can see your point. I can see that must be frustrating. If you come back and say, I'm sorry, that must be really hard. I didn't want to uh, make you or hard work on planning our vacation, you know, uh, feel diminished or feel un, unval uh, devalued by me. I'm sorry for what I said. In that moment, all conflict, all tension completely dissipates and you're back on the same page. It is absolutely magical how a I'm sorry and an understanding and, and feeling empathetic for where your partner comes from, even if it's defensive, even if it's frustrating, even if it feels like, oh, now we're going to get into a fight. Who is right? Who has a right to say something? If you just back off and say, I'm sorry, I can see where you're coming from. That's not what I intended or that was really not great how I said it or I wasn't really thinking about it. You are not only diffusing the tension, you're actually creating a connection because you're acknowledging the other person's vulnerability, the feelings, and you can then talk about it and find a solution. So all of those things, if you are implementing a few of those, can really be the greatest gifts for your relationship. Better than a beautiful dinner or a box of chocolate or 20 roses, it can really make the difference. It is breathing new vibrancy and life into your relationship. And, and it's not that hard. It just takes a little awareness. And sometimes it takes that willingness to get out of your comfort zone, out of the rut and make a step towards the person you love and the person you want to share your life with. We just cannot always try to be right or always try to have it our ways. A love is about a thousand and more compromises a week or maybe less, but a love really deserves for us to say, I have my own needs, but I also equally 
am responsible to take care, respect, and support my partner's needs and wants. And that is then where the compromise happens, and that is where the love grows.